Jude. We're just going to look at two uh, unique, peculiar verses today, Jude 14 and 15. You want to turn there to Jude. You know what I think is the toughest job uh, in New Mexico? Being a weather forecaster. <laughs> I've thought about this for decades. What about you? And I'll never, occasionally I flip over, I'm done with Sports Center or whatever, and I flip over, and there's Joe Diaz or one of those other guys doing what's called the seven-day weather forecast. And I laugh out loud. Watch it in a couple days, it will have changed, right? Can you imagine? I love, I learned this a long time ago. Some of you get so excited when it says there's a 30% chance of rain. And I want to remind you there's 70% chance that nothing will happen except wind. That's it. Think about it. No one wants to listen uh, to or depend on an unreliable forecast. And, and one thing is for sure, the weather forecaster cannot control the weather. That's why the job is so hard. You think about it, even all the technology, the, the radars, Doppler, satellite systems, computer readouts, weather forecasters still mess up the forecast. Have you ever washed your car? because it was going to be a nice week, and then it rained of all times. Yes, it happens. Well, let's think about a different forecast today. In, in reading the Bible, we can see the forecast that God gave through his prophets. Do you remember the prophets? 100% accurate, not 30, 70, and all that kind of stuff. 100% accurate. They have been made and they have been fulfilled. And because of all the many prophecies in the Bible that have been made and fulfilled, we can have confidence and we can know that those that have not yet been fulfilled, God will one day fulfill them as well. And Jude has been helping. We've been going through Jude and he's been re relating how the present in his days, and would be our days too now, the present apostates are just like past apostates. And Jude describes these apostates, you remember we just looked at this, as dangerous reefs, waterless clouds, Virga, trees without fruit, raging waves of the sea, wandering stars. He, he's been describing all this. And uh, now he's doing something different. Now he begins to declare forthright the coming judgment on apostates, on apostasy, on false teaching. On false belief and so as we get going today I just want to ask you a few questions church I don't know who everyone is here today are you ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because that's going to be fulfilled that is a prophecy that will be fulfilled I don't know when it will be no one knows when it will be but I know when I woke up this morning it was one day closer amen and I want to ask you today, are you ready for the coming of Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about your bank account. I'm not talking about new cabinets in your kitchen. Ha uh ha. -huh. I'm not talking about uh, whether you have a certain amount of kids or grandkids or whether you're finishing your degree or whatever, whatever, whatever. Are you, your soul, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, are you ready for the coming of Jesus Christ? And let me ask you even a tougher question. If you're not sure, let me ask you this quick question. Will you be received by the Lord when he comes back, or will you be rejected? Read your Bible. It's very clear. It's very clear. I know you come on or depart from me. I never knew you. 
I'm not talking about family. I'm not talking about being a church member. I'm not talking about whether you've been baptized or not. All those things are very important. I'm talking about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready and would you be received? Uh, Verses 14 and 15, I think, give us some certainties about the future forecast for apostates. And we can learn from that and make sure we're not in that group. And Jude goes back once again to his Bible. He goes way back this week. Here's the big idea. Overall, we've been looking in Jude, contend for the truth. So as we contend for the truth, we must remember the coming of the Lord. He's coming back. And there's coming judgment with it. So let's look at verses 14 and 15. And Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about them. Who's them? Remember who we've been talking about? Yeah. Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict them of all their ungodly deeds that they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. You getting the idea there? Wow, it's a lot of ungodliness. Let's pray. God, speak to us this morning through your word, through two simple verses that might look different but have so much meaning for us, God. I pray that our hearts will be open. I pray that we will listen and we will see from your word. And I pray that no one will leave this place today. No one will finish watching this service online. No one will do anything without nailing down the return of the Lord and if they're ready or not. So God, help us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Two major points today. The first one is uh, forecasting from the past. We see this right at the very beginning, the first phrase in verse 14. Uh, Jude is forecasting from the past. If you'll go back to verse 4 that we looked at a few weeks back, you'll see that Jude makes a startling statement. He says, the condemnation of these men, these folks, was marked out or was written out long ago. Look at verse 4. For certain men who were designated for this judgment, there it is, long ago. And verse 14 that we're in now shows that that marking out, if you will, goes all the way back to Enoch that we can read about. So Enoch, who is that guy? Well, anybody in here named Enoch? Middle name? Wife's name? No, kidding, yeah. Enoch was a man that walked with God. We can go back to Genesis 5. We don't have time to read the whole chapter, but I do want to read verses 22 through 24 and look at how this guy was kind of special. He's got a notation, okay? He had what I would call a personal walk with God. Listen to verses 22 through 24 of Genesis 5. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, you've heard of him, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Are you remembering now? Very unique situation here. And then the New Testament, we get some commentary on Enoch. You know chapter 11 of Hebrews, the hall of faith, the the faith chapter, and we find in verse 5, 
the submission about Enoch. We learn that not only did he have that personal walk with God, I believe he had pleasing worship. He was pleasing what he did to God. Listen to 11.5 of Hebrews. By faith, Enoch was taken away so he did not experience death. And he was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to his removal, he was, listen, approved since he had pleased God. Wow. And then here we are in Jude, and we learn that Enoch is a powerful witness for God. It's a, it's, he prophesied. It's powerful. In fact, the name Enoch means dedicated, committed. We might say today Enoch means sold out, sold out. So Jude, according to the first phrase of verse 14, he takes us in our Bibles all the way back to what he calls the seventh generation from Adam. Interesting. He takes us back past the minor prophets. We go back past the major prophets. We go back past even the times of the kings. Way back past the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We go way, way, way back. Now let's do a little genealogy just to give you perspective of how far back this is. Enoch, we just saw, fathered who? Methuselah. What's famous about him? The oldest recorded age in the Bible. Anybody know what it is? 969 years, okay? Different time then, okay? Before the flood and all that kind of stuff. But he fathers Methuselah, and then, stay with me, Methuselah fathers Lamech, or however you say it, and then he fathers a guy you've heard of. Even the kids know this guy, Noah. So we can say Enoch is great-grandpa to Noah. So he, Jude takes us way back. And here Jude reminds the church that he's speaking to and us today that this is not some new thing that he's come up with. He has not devised something new. This is not some new radical response to the circumstances that they were facing or that we would be facing. This is something that was foretold or forecasted long before by a man of God who had a word from God about the ungodly. Jude informs us that Enoch prophesies, the word's right there, prophesies about the return of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ. Think about this for a minute. Prophesying about the return of Christ, not knowing anything about what? The first coming, right? There's been no baby Jesus yet, no Virgin Mary and all that. I just find that astounding how God works and how he speaks through prophets and others, it's just amazing to see that. And Jude informs the church about this long ago past declaration about apostates and apostasy. And I would just tell you this morning, these two verses are important. It is a forecast worth remembering. We should remember it, not forget it. Jude is telling the church that he's, he's not the only preacher that's ever preached against ungodliness or the ungodliness of apostates. He shows us clearly Enoch foretold about these men. You see, we need to understand something today. We need to get out of where, wherever your little pouty chair is. Do you have a pouty chair? I know you do. You got a pouty chair or couch at your house. Or you got a whining chair? Come on. Do you? you moping? Is that where I'm catching you all yet? About caught everybody. 
Where is that in your house? He, he's reminding us something. We need to get out of that chair because there have been evil, ungodly, and apostate unbelievers and leaders in every single generation. Read your Bible. Apostasy is nothing new. We should not be like the ostrich and put our head in the sand. We should take a stand for truth and we join in with the saints of past generations who've taken a stand for truth and against falsehood. According to the Bible, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anything apart from that, we have to take a stand against that. And so be of good cheer. It's been going on a long time. And we can fight it just like others have. So there's the forecast from the past. So what, uh, what was prophesied? What was forecasted? Well, we look at the start of uh, the second part of verse 14 and 15. We see that it's destruction. It's judgment. It's not good. And I want to break it down into two subpoints. I think you have these in your uh, sermon notes, and it's this. Enoch declared the power of Jesus coming, and he also declared the purpose. Isn't it nice when you have the purpose, when you don't just know what's happening, but you know the why? And so we see that. So Jude grabs their attention, and I think he grabs our attention with a simple work. A word. So if, if your Bible, um, some Bibles do a good job of if it's a quote or if it's a poetry or something, it's indented and different than just straight narrative. And so your Bible may be like that. And he starts off this little section uh, about uh, Enoch prophesying with the word, look, exclamation point. It grabs our attention. It's a very strong word. It's a word that calls for undivided attention to what is said. So I would say to you today, look. That means you can't think about lunch or anything else. You can't think about why he's still wearing the, hey, there it is again. Okay, Tuesday night. Okay, all these things that we might think about or who is that guy sitting next to me or what? I can't remember her name. You got to let all that go. Look, look, undivided attention. And that's what he does here. He says, look, pay attention, pay attention. What is he saying? Pay attention about. Look at the next couple words. The Lord comes. The Lord comes. Jude informs the church of the certain word given years before. Think of how long ago this was. Words given by Enoch. The Lord is coming, but I want to help you with something. It says comes, but that's not exactly. I want you to think about the tense of the word. Just give me a second, and I'll get to it. The Lord is coming, but in the mind of God, it's as though the Lord has already come. Are you good with that? Do you understand that? Time and space does not determine the Lord like us. The judgment is so certain that nothing can stop it, nothing can detour it, nothing can prevent it. The Lord Jesus is coming again. And interestingly, this word, if you look at it, it's not in the present tense like we have in English, it's in the past tense. Stay with me. Enoch said something was going to happen as if it had already happened to prove that it was guaranteed to happen. Interesting. In the Greek language, this is called prophetic past. Have you ever heard of that? I know a thing or two about prophetic past. 
In the eighth grade, I had a rough year. I had a lot of rough years, but eighth grade was really rough. I received many SWATs. Now, you young folk don't know what SWATs are. Do any of your older folk know what SWATs are? You got in trouble at school, and they had a paddle, and instead of giving you a participation trophy, oh, did I just say that? Oops. You bent over, and they lit into your backside. They hit you where the Lord split you, okay? Wham! And I got multiple, multiple times. But what does that have to do with prophetic past? It has to do with this. I had been told by mom and dad that I would get it, if I got in trouble at school, I would get it worse when I got home. Maybe you've heard of that. Wait till your father gets home, okay? So if I misbehaved, so of course, multiple times that year, the school not only gave me a SWAT, by the way, shop teacher is the worst. They customize it, they drill little air holes in it. They lacquer it, they do all kinds of stuff. I thought I was gonna get a SWAT from the, the little uh, art teacher. I had to take a nine week art teacher class and she took me out in the hallway and I didn't realize the shop was just right down the hallway. So she went and got him. That'll bring tears to your eye. But anyway, where was I? Oh, I knew that when I got home, I was going to get it. It was a prophetic past. I had been told in the past that this would happen, and there was certainty, there was guarantee that it would happen. And so I had to go through the rest of the school day because it was so bad, I got first hour I got one even. That's pretty bad when you get it that early in the day. But I went through the rest of the school day, went through football practice only to arrive home and realize that judgment was so certain. And I received what had been promised to me or prophesied to me. And don't think that mom couldn't do pretty good as well, not just dad. She put on the oven mitts. Are you ready? And we had went to Almogordo and moved into a new house. Well, there was a little bit of extra countertop. It was just about that long, about that wide. It was just oven mitts and taking the swing. It was just about right, okay? Some of you are looking at me like, child abuse, child abuse. Child abuse. I survived it, okay? I say all that not just to laugh, but uh, that's a good example of prophetic past. Something is certain going to happen, and you've been told in the past, and it comes to be. Well, that's what we see here when it says the Lord comes. The Lord comes. You see, the personal destruction of apostates will not be avoided. It is certain. Jude here is describing the power of, the, of Jesus coming. And notice something. It says the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones. You see that? Let's picture this scene. Regardless of your eschatology, I want you to picture this this morning. Jesus returning with multitudes. I believe holy angels and saints. You believe whatever you want. But go sometime and read Revelation 19. And then go back into the Gospels and read Matthew 25 and take a look at how those sync up. Jesus is coming back and he's bringing the army with him. And I ask you again, like I asked you early, are you ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you be received or will you be rejected? So let's break this down a little bit further. Uh, that's the power. I mean, the, the, enough said, right? Thousands of his holy ones, the Lord 
The Lord is coming back. And now we see the purpose in verse 15. Look at verse 15. To execute judgment on all and to convict them of all their ungodly deeds that they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. So Enoch also declared the purpose of Jesus' coming. A couple things here. First, to carry out their sentence. Do you see that? Execute. Execute judgment on all. Don't think of execution or think of carrying out a sentence, if you will. The Lord is coming back. Scripture is clear. You can look all through the Bible. It is very consistent. Does does not uh, contradict with itself. The Lord is coming back to carry out the sentence on the ungodly in the world. Well, how could Jesus do that? Listen to the words of Jesus in John 5, 22. John 5, 22. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Don't think this is not real. Jesus is not returning for a friendly visit. Jesus is not uh, returning for another chance to begin a relationship with him. Ultimately, Jesus returns with judgment, and he will execute his judgment. And his judgment is different than the world's judgment. His judgment is impartial, it is perfect, and it is righteous. And he will execute it. The word execute means to make or do. And it gives a picture of not just doing it or making it, but of completion. It will be completed. He will make it so. The verdict is final. Warren Wiersbe, I love reading him. He's got a way with words, and listen to what he says. There will be a judge, Jesus Christ, but no jury. There will be prosecution, but no defense. For every mouth will be stopped. Don't you love that? But, but, but wait, uh, uh, let me explain. No, every mouth will be stopped. There will be a sentence, but no appeal. For there can be no higher court than God's final judgment. Wow. Now, I know how we are. I'm the same way you are. Don't we all want justice? How many here would like justice? Come on, don't be spiritual right now. You want justice on someone or something. Something out in our world, right? We all want justice, but guess what? We all want it right now, don't we? We want it right now. We sure do. But let me let you in on a little secret. We are not God. We are not God. His way, Scripture tells us, His ways are higher than our ways. His timing is different than our timing. But know this, the Lord is coming back to execute judgment, and there will be no escape. And it will be flawless in execution, and it will be final. And the Lord Jesus is coming back with thousands upon thousands. Some, some even interpret that as ten thousands of holy ones, his holy ones, to execute judgment. He's coming to carry out their sentence. We see something else in the second uh, parts of 15. He's coming to convict of sin. How is this evidenced? First of all, it's shown. It's what is shown in their lives, these apostates. Their lives show it. To convict them of all their ungodly acts. See the word acts? It's an action word. Acts that they have done in an ungodly way. Why the sentence? Lord, why the sentence? Sin. Conviction of sin. Convict 
means to convict, but not just convict. It means to convict fully. It's more than that. Listen to this. It means to prove one in the wrong and thus shame him. Convict is a legal term that reference to a courtroom. Picture this courtroom where a just verdict is reached and a just sentence is passed. Not like some of our courts today. The sentencing will match up to the verdict and it will be final. Now, don't think I'm giddy about this. I am a little hyper Sunday morning. I'm not giddy about this. I'm sad about this. What about you? As I think about the thousands, the tens of thousands, are you ready? The hundreds of thousands of Albuquerqueanos. I was trying to figure out, I almost said Albuquerqueans or whatever. The hundreds of thousands of Burkanos who will die and meet judgment. They will spend eternity in hell, separated from God and everything good. Think about that for a minute. I do want justice, but maybe, Lamar, I don't want it right now. Why? Why does God tarry? Why does God not return? What does Scripture say? He wants more to come into that relationship with him through repentance, that personal relationship. So let us not get too excited about it. Jude tells us that Jesus will convict all. Did you catch it? Right there in verse 15. All who are ungodly among them and all their ungodly deeds. In fact, Jude uses the word ungodly multiple times in this verse. Why would he do that? To stress who will be judged and why they will be judged. The Lord will convict of sin on the ungodly because of what they've shown in their lives. It's evidenced in their lives. The ungodly will be convicted of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly and wicked way. And there will be no way out for the ungodly apostates and ungodly people who deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's a strange illustration for you. Do you remember the famous comedian W.C. Fields? Are you old enough? Well, he wasn't a Christian, by the way. That's not the illustration. He, in fact, he was an agnostic his whole life. But he was lying on his deathbed when one of his friends came by to see him one afternoon. And to his amazement, guess what W.C. Fields was reading? He was reading a Bible. And the friend looked at him and said, W.C., are you getting religion? And W.C. Fields said, no, I'm looking for loopholes. Now think about that for a minute. He's a funny guy, but I think there's some truth to that. Listen, please know today, wherever you are and listening, there will be no loopholes before the Lord. That's why this is such a big deal about saving faith, about God saving us, about us repenting and turning from our way and going to his way and acknowledging him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is a big deal because there are no loopholes. And when he comes, he is coming to convict sin. Not just what they've shown in their life, but in the last part of verse 15, what they've said. They said with their lips. They actually said it. And of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. Do you see that? Against God. Our God, creator God. This has happened. Those who have shown ungodliness in their lives and those who have said ungodliness with their lips should be on alert. Ungodly sinners will do anything and they will say anything. Have you noticed that? It's pretty amazing. 
Some people will do anything, and some people will say anything. And we're like, wow. Listen, the things that are spoken from the lips, the apostates, they'll blaspheme. They'll gossip. Watch out. They'll run down other people. They'll speak against God. They'll speak against the authority of the Bible. They are against God and his word, and their words show it. Listen to what Jesus said, the words of Jesus in Matthew 12, 36. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. So we ought to be careful what we say, right? And we realize the coming conviction for apostates and what they say. We are called to take a stand for truth. That's what this little book is about. Take a stand for truth. Jesus is the truth, in case anyone was wondering. God's truth is found where? In his word. His word is what? Breathed out. His life-giving breath, creative breath, breathed it out. We talk about Jude, 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 or Paul, or Peter, or whatever. Remember, God breathed it all out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through all these men, and we have divided it up. We've even put chapters and verses and all that kind of stuff. But it's every single word is God. God, God. And his word says we will be held account for every careless word that is spoken. His truth is found in his word. I'll say to you today, trying to summarize this, we must see the forecast of apostates, apostasy. And it's not like the weathermen in New Mexico, bless his heart or her heart, given their best effort. It is sure and certain, just like all the prophecies of the Word. So let me close in this way this morning. I want to tell you something, something you should be excited about. God stirred my heart when we sang, High King of Heaven, right? Because I was reminded of something I wrote down many days ago. King Jesus is coming again. That ought to excite you if you are a believer, if you have that personal relationship with the Lord. If God has saved you, you should be excited about that because King Jesus is coming again. And again, I would ask you, are you ready for his coming? Do you know that you know that if you were to die today, uh, you would go to heaven? Don't think about pearly gates. Think about being with God, that you would be with God. Have you truly trusted in Jesus Christ to save you? Or are you trusting in a grandma or a mother or a father? Are you trusting in a preacher? Are you trusting in a church? Are you trusting in you fill in the blank? No, Lamar, we would never do that. Really? Don't we do that sometimes? What are you trusting in? Have you trusted, truly trusted in Jesus Christ to save you? Have you been born again? Scripture says that we must be born again. It's a spiritual birth. We've already had the physical birth. Has that happened? And if not, could I ask you this question today? 
Would you trust Jesus today and be saved from the wrath, the judgment that is to come? Now, lest you think it's Lamar's words, let me remind you of a famous verse in the Bible, Bible Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this, do you remember the word? Judgment. Are you ready to meet Jesus? If you are, praise God. If you're not, why not today? If you are, who are you going to tell about the coming judgment? If you're not, why not today? Let's pray. God, we pray today just uh, leaning into your word, standing upon truth. And God, we're grateful for your plan. We're grateful that for many of us, you have come into our lives and you have saved us. You have transformed us. You have regenerated us spiritually. And we are children of King Jesus. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the rescue plan. And God, I pray for those today who have not experienced that, that they would really consider in their minds and in their hearts the fact that you love them and you have a purpose for their life. And their sin, just like ours, separates them from you. But your rescue plan was a bridge across a great chasm, and the bridge is the cross of Jesus Christ. And God, would you remind them, would you show them today, would you draw them to yourself and remind them that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. And God, I pray that people would repent, would ask forgiveness, would turn from their life and run to you. And God, that you would save them. We know your word says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those who confess with their mouth, mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is boss, that he is master, and believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, believe truth of the word, that they will be saved. And God, we pray for that today because we know you are returning with thousands of holy ones and judgment will be executed. And God, those of us who are believers, would you just help us to celebrate in our souls today that you have saved us. We have not done anything to deserve it or to get it, but we have just turned to you and you have saved us. So God, we pray for the next couple minutes just to be a serious time of reflection, of contemplation. God, help us. And God, may we pray for those that we're concerned about that we know if they died today, they would break wide open the gates of hell. Thank you, God, for your word. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please? I'm just going to have a couple minutes of response time. You don't have to stand. You can be seated however you want to just to pray for you and God. How does that look? and others that you know that you're concerned about. Would you thank him? Would you adore him? Would you listen as he speaks into your heart and what we've talked about today? So let us have this time of response. 
you respond. There'll be those of us up front be glad to pray with you, talk with you, whatever you need. You do business with God. saying to you. Church, we have seen answered prayer. Would you just join with me right now? Would you pray? your lost friends and family and even folks you may not have met yet would you just right now double down and plead with God that's the end of Jude. He, God is able. Cry out to him. He is ready and willing. Thank you. Let's pray. God, we acknowledge you today. As creator of the universe, we acknowledge you today as the one who holds the future. We acknowledge that you today and you alone have the power to forgive sin, to break the chains of sin. You are the God who saves. You are our God who saves. And we thank you that you have saved us. And we pray for those who need to repent and turn to you. God, use us as instruments of your salvation. God, today we have praised you, prayed, and proclaimed your word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege, the opportunity just to be present, whether right here in this room or somewhere else online, just the privilege to be present to be part of your work, your kingdom, even the praise of you. So thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.